Chapter 10 of We Were There at the Normandy Invasion by Clayton Knight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Wayne Cook. Here Come the Tanks. Long before dark, Andre, too tired to care any more what happened, had stumbled into his old bed in the kitchen. During the night he roused at times to hear the hum of trucks and clumping feet. He did not hear the squadrons of planes coming in to drop relief troops and much-needed ammunition to the hard-pressed shootists. At dawn he awoke completely fresh and went to look at his now unfamiliar Normandy landscape. Women tramped to damaged houses, distributing hot food and blankets. Two small boys were investigating a badly smashed glider which had settled on a hedge. Andre had just decided to run to the Lescaux farm to inquire whether Victor had come home when Weller called to him to come to breakfast. Afterwards he went about his usual farm chores. Troops from the beach landings filtered through the village that day. Their officers paused briefly at the Gagnon house to exchange reports with Captain Doby. Well, at any rate, our tanks are beginning to come across the causeways now, a newly arrived major told the captain. That'll help the airborne boys. It will be a great relief, Captain Doby said. Our parachute fellows have been fighting hard without any rest. The major nodded. The only trouble is, he said, somebody overlooked the way these thick French hedgerows stop our tanks cold. We've got to find a way to cut through them. Andre listened with amazement. He had never thought of those ancient borders to the tiny Normandy meadows as tank traps. He knew, of course, that cattle turned out to pasture seldom broke through the high earth banks topped by the century-old tangles. It did seem disappointing to think that those great, wonderful American war machines could be stopped by shrubbery. "'But why don't the tanks uh, keep those roads, sir?' he asked. The major grinned. If Normandy had ten times as many roads, son, he replied, we wouldn't have enough for all the stuff the Allies have to move into France. Besides, our tanks have to go where we know the Germans are massing. The major was right about over-busy highways. Trucks, loaded with armed men and supplies, had begun to grind by in a long, noisy procession. Some village people had come back from hiding, children, big and little, ran along the roadside, catching windfalls of candy, gum, and cellophane-wrapped cookies tossed out by the soldiers. To André, this was a very, very strange war. He could remember nothing like it in any history book. But when he went into the kitchen, he no longer felt that his father's house was threatened from all sides. The crowd of German prisoners had been moved to a new compound, and the geese had once more taken possession of the pond. Andre counted the chickens. The flock looked a little sparse. A shout from Sergeant Weller sent Andre back to the road. Inside the front window, Captain Doby and Slim stood, waving cheerily. Weller, both arms upraised, was saluting the approach of a great elephant of a machine. It came lumbering up the sea road, its wide, corrugated treads clanking on the gravel. After the first, in stately dignity, thundered more of the metallic herd. "'The thanks! The thanks!' Andre's heart thumped with excitement. "'Some side, eh, boy?' Weller shouted. 
With Weller, Andre ran out to reach up and shake hands with the tank men. The tank commanders and the gunners, Andre thought, were even wilder-looking creatures than the shootists. The men seemed colossal, standing in their turrets before the radio antenna that wavered nervously like insects' feelers with the sway of the tanks, pushed up goggles over helmets and earphones, made drivers and gunners seem part of the weird contraptions. They are wonderful, Andre said. I wish I could have seen them come ashore from the ships that brought them across the channel. Sergeant Weller frowned. I don't think you'd have liked it, son. Only a few hours ago these men came off landing craft that were being shot up by the Nazis from every direction. These guys are just the lucky ones that didn't get hit. The gathered villagers cheered, and the sound of their welcome rang far up the road. Andre was still looking for Victor, but Victor had not been seen that day. Andre sauntered over to where the colonel had joined Dobie and the others in the window. Capitan, Andre began. Sir, about Victor. I know, smiled the captain. You wonder why he doesn't come back. I feel sure it'll be all right if that car full of Nazi officers got through the roads from Paris to here. Then I'm sure your friend Victor can find his way around. The Nazi officers said they drove straight through Cannes, Kiraton, and right through our lines, if you please. British and American. They actually got as far as the Jacquard farm without being detected. The colonel spoke up. As a matter of fact, I don't think the German staff in Paris knew how much country airborne troops were covering. How could they? We had jammed their coastal radio and radar stations all the way to Cherbourg, and the French resistance and our men cut telephone landlines so it was impossible for the commanding German general here on the peninsula to communicate with Paris. Those Nazi prisoners, said Dobie, told us they came up from Paris to find out what was really happening here. Hitler believed that our invasion was coming at Calais. He sure missed the boat, Weller said cheerfully. The last of the squadron of tanks had gone by, and the village people returning to their homes. Andre went back to the farmyard. It was time for chores. He heard laughter coming from the barns, but by now he was used to soldier sounds. First, he must see how badly the orchard and fields in the rear had been hit by the shelling. He went through the gate in the courtyard wall. His jaw dropped. Many apple trees were down. Great smudged shell holes gaped between them, and the greatest hole yawned only a few feet away from the edge of the lane where his trumpet was buried. He snatched up a shovel and sighed in relief when the trumpet came up, green and smeared with damp earth, but unharmed. He nestled it comfortably under his arm and went to the barn door. The cows had not lowed, and now he saw why. Balanced on the stools beside the animals sat two lusty Americans. They were happily squirting streams into milk pails held correctly between their knees. One of the soldiers looked up curiously, at the side of the horn under Andre's arm, he cried, Well, if it isn't little boy blue, horn and all, the second milker called. These your cows? We thought nobody was home. Sure seems good to milk an old bossy again, he grinned. I come from Iowa and sure miss milk in time. Hope you don't mind. We're almost through here. The men paused to admire Andre's trumpet and tootle a few wild notes before they helped him carry the pails to the spring house. He filled a pitcher for Captain Doby and took it to the staff room, as the old store was now called, 
The room was again filled with strange soldiers, some of them in bloody bandages. The colonel was anxious to get away to his division command post. You stay right here, Dobie, he said, and the sergeant and Slim as well, and hustle medics and replacement infantry forward, fast. Slim appeared and announced that he had Weller's jeep ready to drive the colonel to his headquarters. When Captain Dobie and Andre were alone, the captain smiled and sighed. A fine mother I turned out to be, he said. When did you eat something last? Andre grinned shyly. What did you uh, eat last, sir? Sergeant Weller's voice roared from the hallway. Lunch coming up! A large loaded tray appeared through the door, followed by Weller's bulky body. Andre looked at a heaped platter in the middle and laughed. So that is where our chickens went. <laughs> Your father will be paid for these fowl, Dobie said. So make up for the eating what you haven't done today. Weller was not as good a cook as his mother or Marie, Andre thought. But he was surprised that a tough sergeant could cook at all, and the meal was good. When the sun sank red behind the trees, an evening hush settled, although soldiers in the nearby bivouacs moved through the village restlessly. Weller yawned. I hope it stays quiet around here a while, he said. After last night we could do with a little snooze, eh, Captain? He had scarcely made his wish when Andre cried, Listen! A distant sound of motors from the sky was drowned out by the opening bark of an American anti-aircraft battery close by. Weller leaped to put out the lights. Might have known the Luftwaffe would wake up about now, he grumbled. Captain Dobie's voice came out of the darkness. I've been wondering why we haven't heard from them these last two days. Our airboys must have pretty thoroughly crippled them. Ears were strained to follow the sounds. Must be several planes, Dobie said. They seem to be dropping small bombs. Weller, at the window, called. It looks like Fourth of July celebration. Suddenly he shouted, We got one! In the darkness, Andre listened to the wild whine of the falling Luftwaffe plane. Andre reached Weller's side in time to see flames springing high above the dark treetops beyond the village. I didn't see any shoot, Weller exclaimed. The pilot must have jumped before the fire lit up the sky, the captain replied. The sudden flare of excitement was followed by an equally sudden lull, except for the sound of soldiers' voices across the fields. The flat guns lapped into silence. Captain Doby said, Next time, Andre, you go down to the cellar. I forgot all about you for a minute. Slim and a detail of men were sent off to look for the fallen Nazi plane, and also for the pilot. Better send out word to the French people around here to be on the lookout, Dobie added, till we're sure about him. When Slim and the men had been gone only a few minutes, Weller began to fidget restlessly. Um, how about I just take a look-see down the road, Captain? he suggested. Captain Doby said okay, and Weller swept up a tommy gun and went off into the night. He had only gone a few yards when Andre caught up with him. In a field, the last flames were flickering from the fallen Messerschmitt. A faint drizzle blurred the scene, but the figures of many soldiers were dimly silhouetted against the light. No good going over there, Weller said, after studying the scene a moment. They had just begun to retrace their steps, and Weller said, Listen! Andre had heard sounds, too, a creaking and a clop, clop of hoofbeats. Coming down the wet road, a new, unpainted cart rattled into sight. Between the shafts clumped La Fumée, 
and waving the reins behind the dashboard stood victor andre he shouted where did you go he brushed at his enormous moustache nervously well never mind now get in get in i'll drive you home andre gulped with relief weller demanded ask him how he got home andre repeated the question in french and victor threw out his hands indignantly oh, should i come he shouted by any open road the soldiers and tanks left my use americans americans everywhere tanks guns i have been halfway round the world to get here it seems but where did you find your cart i thought it was blown up andre cried victor's eyebrows expressed more astonishment where would i find it just what your car said he would leave it of course beyond the shop among the holly trees when this was translated weller shook his head well climb in and let's go home la fumée sensing the nearness of his own stable started briskly when they had said good-bye to victor weller yawned loudly andre watched weller and laughed and pretty sleepy myself he admitted ten minutes later he was in his mother's big bed sprawled sound asleep End of chapter ten